At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Some noteworthy trends heading into the 2020 college football season. And yes, there will be one. Next on Michigan Podcast. There's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it. Here's Clark. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it. And a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kohler at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. On his way. It's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds. A junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop. And he delivers for Bo Schimbeck. And here's your first play. Pressure from second. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. win the championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan Go Blue, I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. The season draws nigh. In fact, all over the country, preseason preparations have formally begun as of last Friday. Teams were able to begin practicing with coaches and even with a ball. That's right. You can practice football with a football now. They're not in pads yet, but the season draws nigh. And that's where I want to begin. Yes, we've got some noteworthy trends heading into the season. I do this every year. It's always a ton of fun to kind of see where things stand heading into a a new campaign before we open up those presents on Christmas morn. And Mark Rogers will join us uh, in our 10-minute war next segment as we go through those trends and get his take on them as well. But I want to begin with a public service announcement. Last night, I was in downtown Des Moines, where I live, here in Des Moines, Iowa. I was in downtown Des Moines at our AAA baseball stadium, Principal Park, enjoying the state high school baseball tournament. Outdoors, socially distanced, 
with a crowd that was limited in size, got to see two of the best baseball teams in our state in a AAA professional baseball stadium play an exciting extra innings game that was determined 2-1. to one. A little slice of Americana. A little slice of normalcy. And it begs the question, if this can be done with high school sports in Iowa, why can't it be done with college sports all over the country? In fact, I, I want to show you couple of key graphics here, pieces of information. Look at these stats from my home state. Now, why do you care if you don't live in Iowa? Because Iowa was the first state in the union to bring back high school sports. So look at these stats and keep in mind, we had no framework. We had no precedent. We were the guinea pigs here. We, we kind of had to go with the protocols recommended by CDC, local health officials and others, and then kind of see what was feasible and what works. And look at these results. 335 varsity softball teams played. Only 26 were impacted by COVID-19, which means 92% were not. Only 11 had to end their seasons early because they had a positive test. 97% of the softball teams in our state finished their seasons. Look at baseball, 338 varsity teams, only 21 impacted by COVID-19. 94% were not, only 12 out of 338, had to end a season early because of positive tests, which means 96% of those high school athletes in baseball got to start and finish their seasons. And again, these are over 300 schools all over the state. They're not in a bubble somewhere where they're sequestered and being closely monitored. They get back in their cars or their buses, go right back home, live a normal life the entire week long, at least as much normal as we're allowed and permitted these days. And even sporadically spread throughout the state, you can see how little of an impact this ultimately had. Yes, there were hiccups, there were controversies, there always is when you're dealing with a serious situation and you're trying to deal with it in a new way for the first time. It got clumsy at times, clunky at times. Some teams, one positive test, we had one number one ranked softball team give up its season because of a positive test, and it happened within the two-week quarantine period. That was the end of the season. So by the time that person could come back, where the team was given the green light, the season was over. So it wasn't a perfect scenario, but it was a workable one. It was a successful one. I think a lot of the debate that we're having about this virus is this idea that there's a perfect scenario out there, one that doesn't require any risk, a a utopian, idealistic notion that we can come up with an outcome that everybody will be pleased and blessed by. I wish that was the case, but then it would be a place called an actual utopia, wouldn't it? We don't live in such a place. We live here on the third rock from the sun. And sometimes in an imperfect world, you can't make the perfect an enemy of the good. That we need to understand that there are forces at work within this creation that are bigger and larger than us. And our job in and around those things is to do our best to keep people as safe as we can, but also understanding that as a species, we have a role to play here. We, we have a calling here, and that is to advance, that is to move on, that is to improve to learn, to grow, to achieve. And we can't do those things locked down in our homes, hiding from a virus that only threatens the lives of 0.04% of Americans that don't live in a nursing home. So having said that, 
Let's have some more normalcy. Let's look ahead to the football season we're about to have and where things stand with a lot of the top programs in the country when we return. Want to thank all of you who have been supporting us on Patreon these last few years here on Michigan Podcast. And for those of you that ask us every now and then, hey, what can we do to help uh, support what you guys are doing and help it to grow? Well, supporting us on Patreon is a big way you can do that. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. And as you can see, when you become a $5 a month uh, subscriber and supporter or more, you get uh, as well exclusive content that we publish just for you on our Patreon page, including a lot of the stuff that I do with sports handicapping as legalization goes wider throughout the country. In fact, you can see uh, I put up just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the notes uh, for NFL win totals, looking at the schedule release. So a lot more where that came from. If you want to support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Let's get to it. It's the 10 minute war with our good friend and the one and probably only. Reasonable, sane Ohio State fan, Mark Rogers, the voice of college football. Good to see you, brother. How are you? I'm doing just uh, fine, Steve. I vow to defy that uh, title. At some point, I'm going to get there. I'm going to going to take you to the brink. At some point, I'm going to say something so unreasonable. You got to do me like Woody Hayes did the uh, down markers in uh, in Ann Arbor back in 1971 before either one of us was born. Right. Well, you're you're spared by social distancing, Steve. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll just put on a mask and then 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 I don't have to worry about anything you do to me. I'm totally safe. Right. That's how it Everything's works. Solved. Yes. Yeah. There you go. All right. So I've done this the last couple of seasons. I know you've liked it when you've seen it just to come up with some interesting trends, kind of setting the stage of where things are at heading into another Christmas morn known as college football season. Right. The anticipation of opening the presents is even better than sometimes than the presents themselves. Right. So um, this is my annual look at key trends that kind of give us a portrait of the landscape of the sport heading into a new campaign. There's a bunch of these. So we're going to go through these kind of rapid fire. All right. And, and I, you're going to be the one that gives me the take. I came up with the nugget. So you give me the, the hot take on it. OK, got it. Let's begin. Here's our very first one. After losing four games in a season only once between 1969 and 2001, which is an amazing stat, by the way, Nebraska has lost at least four games for 16 straight seasons. Mark Rogers. Oh, Pelini's not so bad, is he? Uh, Devaney and Osborne built a program at a time in which pass, passing and catching skills were not premium. Speed was not premium. It was a game of brute force and size. They built a program uh, based on the location in the country for Nebraska to reach those heights based on the recruiting footprint and trying to get those elite players out of other parts of the country is near impossible. Yes, Nebraska can be Wisconsin, but can they be Nebraska of 1995? No. All right. Next up, check this one out. Jim Harbaugh is the first coach in Michigan history to start 0-6 against Ohio State. I'll have my Buckeye Nation all over me, but the difference and the gap between the two programs is not as substantial as the scores over the last two seasons. Look at Penn State, look at Michigan. They're basically the same program on the field and in the recruiting rankings, and Ohio State is scraping by Penn State. There's an interesting dynamic that, that goes beyond this rapid-fire conversation right now. 
but Ohio State's a top five program. Michigan's a top 15 program. This will end at some point. It's actually 0-5. I've been waiting for people to catch that. I'm just already I'm already just chalking it up. Right. OK. But I'm surprised at how few people realize that 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 just kind of went with it. And said, oh, yeah, absolutely. OK. So that which makes me hurt, too. Uh, the Miami Hurricanes. Remember the U. They have not posted double figures and wins, Mark, in consecutive seasons in 16 years. And since this they only won six, hold on a second. And since they only won six games last year, that streak will continue, Mark. So this post, uh, this uh, fell in my lap uh, from a post that I sent up a couple months ago, basically articulating the marginal status of this program. It's a 50%, 57% winning percentage for Miami over the last 15 years. Get this, Steve. There have been 43 teams that have placed in the final AP poll top 10 in the last 15 years, and Miami is not one of them. Wow. They got a few stragglers like Boise State and others in the group of five in Notre wow. Dame. That's seven to eight per Power Five conference. Miami's not one of them. But the recruiting has been really good. Manny Diaz is an inexperienced coach. He has yet to prove anything. But in an awful division with that kind of talent in their backyard, this has to change to some degree. That Now that's a stat, brother. That is a stat. All right, let's get to this next one. Eight of the last 11 Heisman Trophy winners were 20 to 1 odds or worse to win it. In the preseason, the era of the preseason Heisman candidate, Joey Harrington's bust at Times Square and the automatic guy that was close last year and is going to win it hands down next year. That era is done. Eight of the last 11 were 20 to 1 odds or worse to win it in the preseason, Mark. I think Geno Smith was supposed to be automatic after six games as well. I always find it amusing when people ask me all offseason who's going to win the Heisman Trophy. And I said, my response is basically, you're asking me to predict what somebody else is going to select. You're not asking me who's going to win a football game, but who is going to be chosen by a number of other people. So I don't put a whole lot of weight on the Heisman Trophy, even though I think it's the most prestigious award in sports. It is the most unpredictable to a certain extent that there has to be a preseason list for not only the Heisman Trophy, but these other awards I don't get. Is there a preseason selection list for the Major League Baseball MVP or the NFL MVP? No, we just give it to the player that earned it. Next data nugget, kind of setting the stage for 2020. Texas hasn't had consecutive double-digit win seasons in a decade. USC at times gets uh, pinned with being the underachieving program, but USC has been substantially better over the past decade than Texas of course, Charlie Strong was a complete failure as a head coach in that situation. And uh, this has been the program that has recruited in the top five to ten in the nation during that late Mac Brown tenure into Charlie Strong. And now Tom Herman has yet to turn it around, despite that one glimpse two years ago in winning the Sugar Bowl. I don't expect this to continue, but it is a rather they are the they are the poster child for not being able to develop top line talent. Texas and Georgia are the only two schools that come into this season with the 2018 and 19 recruiting classes that make up the bulk of your roster this year. They're the only two teams that had top three recruiting classes both of those years, Texas and Georgia. Something to keep in mind. All right, Texas A&M, let's stay in the Lone Star State. Texas A&M has only one double-digit win season so far this century, Mark Rogers. 
And that was Johnny Manziel's Heisman Trophy season of 2012 for their other double-digit win year. You got to go back to R.C. Slocum, kind of the end of his run, uh, you know, from Southwestern Conference to Big 12, 1999. This is the most ballyhooed, hyped-up program that has done nothing for decades and decades. Uh, Kevin Sumlin recruited well. They have the wealth of talent, Texas being one of the top three recruiting states in the nation, along with California and Florida. The fans love the program. They packed the house with 105,000 rabid fans. They have the money, the facilities, and of course, they've piled it all into Jimbo Fisher's contract in the last couple of years. So we'll see if he can deliver. But uh, yeah, Johnny Manziel made it happen that one year. But other than that, uh, this is a 7-5, and 8-4 and four program. As we continue on, Oklahoma and Clemson are each vying to become the first six consecutive undisputed, meaning unshared, first six consecutive undisputed conference champions since Bud Wilkinson's legendary Sooner teams of the 1950s. That's some high cotton right there, Mark. I've done a series recently reviewing uh, national championship races in the 80s and 90s, and I knew it before the research, but it just came back to me, the parody in college football at that point. You could go through all the conferences and grab about five teams that over the span of 10 to 15 years seriously contended for a national championship. We don't have that anymore. We have five or six teams to talk about when we talk about the college football playoff. And there's a difference, Utah, Oregon, Oklahoma even to a certain extent in reaching the college football playoff Mm -hmm. versus winning the college football playoff. But Oklahoma Clemson, I think uh, I'm going to give Clemson or Oklahoma actually a little bit more credit in being able to accomplish that feat in the Big 12 versus what Clemson has done in the uh, pathetic ACC. All right, our next one, Kansas State, is the first team in at least three years to return zero offensive line starts on the entire roster. Steve, i got to say, this is the first one I don't know what to do with to a certain extent. I think uh, the probabilities say the offensive line, having five starters on the field, would be the group that obviously brings back the most players uh, that you have to fill positions. So it would make sense that you would be able to bring somebody back uh, from, from the previous year's unit. But otherwise, I don't know what that's telling us, uh, but that Kansas State uh, needs to work up front uh, here in 2020, I guess. Well, this is one of the new kind of advanced metric stats in the last few years. Uh, is the is the offensive line starts and because that's a unit where cohesion experience matters quite a bit obviously and it's a developmental unit even you know big time programs that are recruiting at that elite level Clemson Alabama in any given year and they're not playing any more than one freshman in the offensive line for example so to come back with zero and have that be not be done in college football for three years that's tough to do and to do it in a year with no off season like we typically have. Yikes. All right, next up, tell me what you think of this one, Mark Pat, uh, Mark Rogers from Gary Patterson. Hall of Fame coach, but he has won seven or fewer games at TCU in three of the last four years. I'm not going to take the trend here. I love Gary Patterson. I think he does a great job. You know what I think this speaks to? I think this speaks to him not being able to find a quarterback that can play worth anything over the past several seasons. Mm-hmm. They have had putrid quarterback play at TCU. And I think that's basically what's happened to Gary Patterson. He had a bit of a rough go transitioning from Group of Five play into the Big 12. It took a couple of years to transition, and now he's finding a a difficult spot again. But go get yourself a quarterback, Gary, 
uh, I still believe in you. That's especially true in the league that he plays in, in the Big 12. Usually the team that has the best quarterback wins that league pretty much every year. All right. After winning 11 games or more, five out of six seasons from 2010 to 2015, Stanford has lost three or more games four of the last five years under David Shaw. Let's give some credit to your boy, Jim Harbaugh. So there is a program build in play, and then there's the program maintenance. Think a number of programs. Justin Fuente at Memphis comes to mind. He took uh, that program from ruins, winning two or three games a year, built it up, left it to Mike Norvell. He maintained it. Jim Harbaugh did the same at Stanford. David Shaw took it over for the first four or five years. They're winning Rose Bowls. They're finishing in the top 10 to 15 in the country. Then they had that swoon to the eight and four level, the top 20 to top 25. Now, based on what happened in 2019 and winning only four games, it will be fascinating to see if David Shaw is able to recover or if Stanford becomes the Stanford of pre-Harbaugh. Our next one for Mark Rogers as we go through the data. Minnesota, Vanderbilt, and Iowa State enter the season with the longest championship droughts in major college football. We could be sitting here 100 years from now and Vandy's still on that list. I just see no way out of that for Vandy. I agree, yeah. Iowa State has shown us something in recent years under Matt Campbell, if they can keep him uh, in town, and obviously P.J. Fleck. They're the one team that, you know, there's a lot of talk that Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State are pretty much bunched up for who's going to play Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. I can tell you right now, man, Oklahoma is rooting that it ain't, Ohio, it ain't Iowa State. I mean, Iowa State beat them uh, in their place a couple years ago, almost beat them again in their place last year. Um, I think Oklahoma does not want to take their chances with Iowa State in a one-game setting. They have given them fits the last few years. And then Minnesota was a home win away uh, from, from against Wisconsin from ending its championship drought and winning the Big Ten West last year. So Minnesota especially looks like it's getting close. Yeah, Matt Campbell is almost building a brand like a Wisconsin at Iowa State. You know what you're getting. You know what they do. And he's almost perfected the formula, at least to a certain rate. All right. Our next trend, assessing where things stand in 2020. This one, I I just, this blows me away. Since losing five games total from 2004 to 2006, the Tommy Tuberville days, Auburn has lost four games or more, Mark Rogers, 11 of the last 13 years. 11 of the last 13 years and six of those years. They lost five games or more. Now, the other two seasons there that they didn't lose four games or more, they won the national championship with Cam Newton and then nearly won it again in Gus Melzahn's first year. Okay, But those numbers, I mean, yowza. 11 of the last 13 and half of those they lost five games or more. Well, Steve, before the numbers are presented, I tend to think of Auburn on that second line with Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State below the elite. But when you present those numbers and think about Auburn, they have one of the oddest programs in regards to results. Think about their 2013 championship run where they came within seven seconds of winning the whole thing against Florida State. The previous year, they were 0-8 in the SEC Uh and went 3-9. I cannot think of a turnaround like that in the history of college football. Uh, yes, Tommy Tuberville had the, uh, if there's a school out there that should be able to claim a national championship, it's Tuberville and Auburn in 2004 going undefeated through the SEC and winning the Sugar Bowl. And then Gus Malzahn, he's keeping a job there. And since 2014, 
He's 26 and 22 in the in the SEC. Uh, that 2017 team could have been the first to go to the college football playoff with two losses, beat two number one teams in the span of three weeks, but tripped over itself in the SEC title game and then to UCF in a somewhat embarrassing loss there in postseason play. So Auburn's a very uneven, intriguing program to me. Well, you have the situation, too, where he's also beaten Alabama two out of the last three years. So yeah, he is the best. That, that's what's that's what saved his job. Are those two wins probably? He's yeah. three and four against Alabama since he's been there, which is like going seven and zero basically for anybody else. By the way, Nick Saban has never beaten an Auburn team that finished with more than eight wins. Did you know that? Never have. He's never beaten an Auburn team that finished with more than eight wins. Another trend I could have put in there. All right, let's go with this one next. See what you think of this. Since two thousand and seven, if you just blindly bet on Temple in every game. You'd have won 62% of the time against the point spread. You'd be living large, actually. That's the best mark in college and major college football. What do, we mean by, what do we mean by blindly bet? You don't even look at the point spread. You don't care. Just go to the window and say, Temple, whatever the line is, I'm taking Temple. If you did that in every game since 2007, man, you'd be, you'd, you'd be a very wealthy person right now. Steve, it reminds me of the year that I thought that I could actually beat the Major League Baseball lines. And I took the Houston Astros, for example, that was at that time atrocious, like the worst, historically bad a couple of years before they made the run to the World Series. And I thought, looking back, that was the team to bet on every game because they were awful, but mm-hmm. they weren't historically awful. You know, they started like 40 and 60. The only thing I can come up with here is that Temple has a stigma like Northwestern of the 80s. Yeah. That they're atrocious, they're awful, nobody cares, nobody goes to the games. This must be a trash of a football program. Plus, they have matched that kind of stigma with finding up-and-coming coaches that know what they're doing mm-hmm. and put a good product on the field. And that's, I guess, the result. All right, just a few more of these. Let's go with this one next. Rutgers enters the season with the longest conference losing streak in the country. 21 straight conference losses in the Big Ten. And it's not just the losses, it's how they lose. And, of course, your team gave them the biggest butt-kicking of all, that 78 to nothing. And if you look at the box score, and I'm a nerd for box scores, that was one of the more amusing box scores in the history of college football uh, in analyzing the discrepancies between the two teams. But uh, Rutgers, Maryland, the addition of those two to the Big Ten from a football standpoint I'm not going to call it a disaster, but just not a good play for the Big Ten. It was not a football move, of course. It was a money move that was based on the old model of cable television. Yeah, now everything's digital, so the TV market's almost irrelevant now. (laughs) So there you go. All right, we'll come back. Sorry, a couple more I meant to say. Over the last 15 years, if you just blindly bet favorites of seven points or more on the money line in college football, money line meaning straight up, okay? No line. If you just blindly bet favorites of seven points or more on the money line in college football over the last 15 years, you would have won 63% of the time. Now, this isn't as lucrative as the Temple deal because you'd end up, you know, with, you know, Clemson's laying uh, minus 4,000, you know, against some FCS team, right? Okay. So you would not have, you know, uh, retired early like you would be just betting on Temple for the last 14 years, but still... You'd have yourself a nice little side uh, nest egg, retirement, family vacation nest egg egg. Just every time there's a favorite of seven points or more, I'm just putting a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks on the money line every time. 
Yeah, I guess that speaks to the haves and the have-nots, and the haves just blowing out that money line or blowing out the point spread, I guess, is a more-than-touchdown favorite. Uh, the two numbers that come to mind that I've been trying to get a handle on have been if the point spread is within a touchdown, actually on the flip side of that, once you get to a touchdown or less, uh, even though you're not going to hit 50% of your plays, it starts to become the better overall play to start taking the underdog against the money line and make the big money per win. And even if you only hit 40 to 45%, you're going to do that. Yeah. Uh, similarly, Steve, over the last because the odds work the other way. This. If you hit forty to forty-five percent, but it's plus two hundred, plus three hundred all the time, you you're gonna you may not get the volume, but you're making it up in quality over quantity there, right? And that's what I've been trying to find here the yeah. last few years. In addition to that, um, man, I'm losing my train of thought. But uh, oh, you got to find five to six upsets per week in the top twenty-five because that's what's going to present itself is about 20% of the games are upsets, a little more than 20%. So it's about four to five upsets per week in the top 25. All right, here's another one. Since we started number one versus number two championship games with the BCS era and 1998, Mark, only 32 of the 88 teams in the preseason AP top four finished there at the end of the regular season. 30 six percent that is it only 36 percent of the top four teams since we started the championship game era in 1998 have finished the regular season in the top four and the reason that matters now of course is because we have a playoff for the top four and it just goes to show that where you're at in the, i mean we had a year a couple of years ago in our own league where wisconsin was the number four team in the preseason poll it's like highest ranking in the ap preseason poll in something like 60 years and it went seven and five, right? So um, that, you know, Michigan last year was just outside the top four. They were number five. They went nine and four. So that top four doesn't, that we see in August, doesn't hold up typically uh, when we get to December. I got to say, I'm surprised by that number, especially since 2014. I've got to think with the dominance of five or six schools during that time that the numbers actually gone up i would guess over the past five or six seasons that that top four is generally making the playoffs and then going on to the championship well this game. it's I funny you should out. mention that last year was the first time in the playoff era that a team that was ranked 12th or lower in the preseason poll did not make the playoff 2019 was the first time that wasn't the case. LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State were all ranked very high in the preseason top 10. Yeah, I got to say I'm surprised by that number because it seems as though we 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 talk about a sport here that uh, where it's pretty predictable, but maybe not as much as uh, we all think. So final thing before we let you go. That was the last one. Final thing before we let you go. Given the uniqueness of of this offseason, the peculiarity of it, the lack of prep time, the fact that we've got some leagues, looks like the Big 12, now today the NCAA announced everybody's getting a waiver for week zero. I'm a believer the season I start the last week in August anyway, so that every team gets two bye weeks for health and school and classes. It's that, That's when it ought to start anyway, okay? But the NCAA granted every school can start week zero now. They can all start August 29th if they want. We're seeing Big 12 schools schedule games for them. I think, you know, it's possible that we could see the Big 12 playing games August 29th 
and we're not seeing the Big Ten or Pac-12 playing games to like September 19th, right? Depending on what everybody chooses to do. I mean, this is just such a peculiar offseason given the uniqueness of the pandemic. How many of these trends do you think are going to be threatened by this? Could it be a year where there's going to be a lot of chalk because if your culture and everything is not already preordained and established, it's really hard to you know make this up on the fly? Or is the randomness mean it's going to be you know, 2007 on steroids. A two-loss team wins the championship. Will we have like a dozen games that year where unranked teams beat top 10 teams? You know, that was kind of a carnage season. 1990 was another one of those kinds of years. What do you think, Mark? So that's what I've been wrestling with, Steve, because the initial response from me was wild card off season, all this turmoil, all this uncertainty has to parlay itself into a wild card year. But Aren't the better programs, the better coaches with the better facilities prepared for these type of situations mm. more so than everybody else? Mm-hmm. So that's what our that's where I'm leaning at this point, that the heavyweights have an even greater advantage in this situation. On the other hand, that I, I would be where you're at. On the other hand, one Justin Fields positive test, one Trevor Lawrence positive test away. From the whole damn season looks a hell of a lot different, brother, depending on when that test takes place, right? A lot different. No doubt. No doubt. So maybe we're going to get a little bit of both, meaning that the the teams with the more solid structures are best prepared for this. But within that structure, there are elements that can take place that you can prepare yourself for all you want. But in the end, the event, the news of the world has its way, right? So anyway, fascinating conversation. Like when a lottery number hits you, what just hit me right there, Steve, is split my final four. I got Alabama, Clemson, Iowa, Arizona State. How's that sound? (laughs) There you go. There you go. Hey, great stuff, man. We'll see you again next time here on Michigan Podcast. Thanks so much, Steve. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.